From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Slumps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, May 12th, my parents' 35th wedding anniversary. Happy birthday to my parents. Uh, sorry, happy anniversary to my parents. Uh, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We are joined, finally. We can actually talk some live sports with Ryan Ballinger of the Golf News Net, who has joined us here. Ryan, it's been two months, basically, uh, two months exactly since you and I, or no, sorry, well, be, be, before that, but, but two months since the PGA Tour shut down, a little more than two months since we talked before the players, I never thought it would get to the level we've gotten with sports basically shut down in the majority of the world. Did you see this happening when we talked two months ago? I don't know if I saw it being this long. I mean, I I think a lot of people were probably hopeful, but also blissfully ignorant of what was about to happen and hoping that some point we would get a, a some level of response that basically put us in a lockdown akin to what Italy was doing and hoping that that would lead to a result that we would quickly be able to mitigate this and, and resume sports and resume our lives. And uh, that quickly became evident that wasn't going to happen and that wasn't going to be the result. So I think now more and more people, more clear-headed people, and put it that way, are resigned to the fact that things are going to be weird until at least the fall, if not into 2021 when we start to get a a wave of hopefully a wave of antivirals and vaccines that will allow us to kind of resume what amounts to a, a normal life again. Um, you, you know, you got to figure out what, what to do. You're home, you're sitting around, um, and you decided to make and build a golf course. So tell everybody about what you've been doing during quarantine. Well, one afternoon I uh, was, out in the backyard with my kids and we spend a lot of the time out there I'm either watching a screen or being outside take your pick and just kind of dawned on me that there was some room for some chipping holes you know some holes I could hit with a wedge and have a little fun and still swing a golf club a little bit and I decided kind of on a whim to route what later would be named fenced up country club and ordered online for cup and flag six sets from Dick Sporting Goods and some foam balls and a mat that I could carry around with me and made a little little course with uh, four holes, obviously, and then uh, six total holes. So you have four holes and four key locations to play six holes. And I, I can make more if I bought some more cups, but uh, it was, it's been perfect. I mean, it was a great way to get through uh, the, the months where, you know, basically a month and a half where Maryland golf courses were closed and I could still chip and putt and have some fun and film a little bit of video and hopefully make, make some people smile and raise a little money, a few hundred dollars for the PGA of America's Golf Emergency Relief Fund, which they matched, which is great. So to help folks who have been in the industry who have been affected by these closures and, and the changes to our, our daily lives. And we'll still do them. I mean, we'll still, now even though golf is back and I can go through my fence again and go play my country club, uh, I'll, I'll still have occasional videos from Fence Up Country Club, have a little fun and, and do a little goofy stuff that, uh, frankly, I just wouldn't feel comfortable doing on a golf course. 
Yeah, exactly. And for more information on the Golf Emergency Relief Fund, you can go to relief.golf. Um, you know, we've all kind of tried to figure it out. We've had the USGA issue, you know, rules about raised cups being okay to post handicaps. Um, we've had courses around me removing tee markers so that you can play from anywhere. There's really no tees um, set out. What are the rules for the Fenced Up Country Club? What have you set down into law? Um, there really aren't any other than I, I've tried to create what I think are tee boxes, um, basically places I put the mat to, to start each hole. And the foam ball does, does help make the course longer because it, it plays about double the length because of the foam balls. So instead of being like 110 yards, it's 220 yards, which is, you know, that's nice for six little holes. And the, the only real kind of local rule, I guess, is if you hit your tee shot or any shot inside the leather of the wedge that you're using, then it's good. You don't have to putt it out. Um, so it's, it's basically an auto two-putt rule unless you hit a terrible shot. And sometimes that happens with the one of the parts, one of the holes, the third hole, plays basically over a tree that's kind of tall. And it, it's really hard to make the foam ball go high and not get caught up in the wind. So uh, that's really the only hole where you're you're ever really in danger of making worse than three unless you just do, do the worst thing possible. Um, so I haven't played it yet with a, like a, I, I originally thought of trying to have a second ball, like you would tee off with the foam ball and then you would putt with a real ball. Right. To try to make it. But frankly, my yard is nowhere near good enough to be able to putt through, so it, it doesn't make that much difference. So I'm just going to keep blading a wedge as my putter, and that'll be good enough. Um, how tempted are have you been to call a PGA Tour wanting to see if the Shotlink mappers wanted to come out and or have the Top Tracer guys come out? <laughs> well, I, I tried to use a Tracer app that I have on my phone to trace the shots as I hit them because that was one of the first things I thought about when I thought about filming some of these rounds. And it the Tracer app does not do a good job picking up a 20-yard shot. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> So it doesn't have enough time to figure it out. So that, that's kind of a downer. But um, it did come out pretty well. I mean, the, the couple of the holes are really good. A couple are kind of bland. But they're, they're my, it's my course. You know, it's something I, it's fun to be able to have my kids out in the yard and play with me. I don't have to worry about them being, feeling judged. Uh, I don't have to worry about anyone coming out and going, oh, can you speed it up a little bit? You know, they can do what they want. They can hit golf balls, they can play with their clubs, and we can have a great time. So even when all of this is done and there's some semblance of normal again, I'm still going to keep the cups out there. I'm still going to keep the, the course out there for them so that we can we can play together. Uh, we're talking with Ryan Ballinger here the Golf News Net. All right, this Sunday on NBC is TaylorMade Driving Relief. You can see it on NBC, NBCSN, Golf Channel, GolfChannel.com, the Golf Channel app. Golf Pass, PGA Tour Live, uh, and the NBC Sports app. All of those streaming platforms are for free, un unauthenticated for the weekend. And again, 2 p.m. Eastern on NBC Golf Channel and NBCSN. Ricky, 
and Matthew Wolf, the two Ohio, uh, the uh, two Oklahoma State guys, versus Rory and Dustin Johnson from Seminole, uh, with a whole bunch of money, four million of it going to COVID nineteen relief efforts. The first live golf back on television since round one of the players. Um, I'm curious because we know Seminole is so wind dependent and the greens are crazy. Um, I have no idea who's setting up this golf course. Um, so I'll be curious to see how it's set up. But what I'm looking forward to most is just seeing live golf. And I don't care if these guys shoot 78 or 68. I have no idea what actually is going to be shot. Best ball in the front nine alternate, uh, modified alternate shot in the back. Uh, no, it's skin. Sorry, I'm getting these these uh, these uh, two events completely confused. Um, skins. It's going to be interesting. Best ball skins is the belief. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting. I think to see not as much who's prepped, who's slacked, stuff like that, but just a how Seminole plays, b how it looks on television, and c just how this all comes off. It's going to be very fascinating to watch. Yeah, it'll be, I think, a little bizarre because there won't be any crowd. So that'll be really the first exposure anyone's had to a golf event unless you've been watching mini-tour streaming online and then you're a true degenerate like me. But if you haven't been watching that and you're not a degenerate, then this will be your first exposure to crowdless golf. And it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward to watch. Uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be an event where you're going to mostly see handheld cameras at a ground level. Uh, so you're going to experience the golf course as the guys are walking it. There's some minuses to that because Seminole is obviously a, a tremendous location right on the water. So you're going to kind of lose some of that. But I, I think it'll still be pretty decently presented and to have four guys playing what amounts to a friendly round. I mean, I'm sure they want to win. I mean, just like you want to win, you know, a $5 Nassau. But I also think that it'll just be nice, like you said, to see them play an iconic golf course with, uh, with something on the line. Obviously, it's not going to them, but something on the line. And that that's going to be helpful to see again. Like you said, I, and I, I was listening to... Michael Breed the other morning on SiriusXM, and he said, I will probably hardly watch any of this because I would rather watch classic golf. I would rather watch Jack in 86 and Tiger in 2019 and all this stuff, and I, I'm the opposite. I mean, I, I know what all the shot. I know I have the Masters 86 film committed to memory. <laughs> you don't, I don't have that at Seminole, and I've never seen it on TV, so I can't wait to see this golf course especially because we're going to host the Walker Cup next year. Yep. And I am very much looking forward to watching four of the best players in the world play real live golf so we can know where they're at, what the av- you know the average upper echelon player is going to look like coming out in a few more weeks at Colonial, which is going to have a stacked field. And we'll get a sense of what golf's going to feel like without fans for a while because I don't think it's going to be just the first four events. I think it's going to be much longer than that. I think it's the rest of of 2020 where the only fans, and I'm putting fans in quotes here, I think there could be a scenario where maybe the media starts applauding. Maybe 
maybe not for a PGA Tour event, but for this weekend, I can see any members of the media. Now I'm talking the Golf Channel, sorry, the uh, PGA Tour entertainment crew, plus the announcers, plus Karen Stupples, who's asked, who is who is acting as uh, uh, Jerry Fultz's advance person for yardages. Um, I can see those people maybe clapping a bit. But it's going to be basically, once we get back to the PGA Tour, players, fellow players, caddies. Um, that's going to be it. It's going to be a really weird uh, way to look at this. Um, and, and my hope as well is that this raises some good money and that we have some fun with this. Um, one thing that I think is interesting is that on the surface, Rory DJ should be the favorites. Um, and I, I believe betting-wise they are. Rory's dad's a member at Seminole. They've played a bunch of rounds there. Ricky, Matthew Wolf being the underdogs. I'm not sure how many rounds Matthew has under his belt at, 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 at Seminole. But from, from that perspective, I think the, the, the odds makers have it correct. But this, to me, is a toss-up just because of... Nobody's really played anything. So I think going into this, Ricky and, 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 and Matt are on equal footing as Rory and DJ. Am I crazy to think that? I do find it interesting that the betting market is saying that, that Fowler and uh, Matt Wolf are, what, plus, I believe, plus 170 to win. Uh, I would lay a healthy wager on those guys. Um, there's no reason to believe that in a skin format where you're playing better ball, that one player can't carry the load for both and, and be successful, basically playing two-on-one golf for a while. And it does, it could be either player. They don't have to both be on for all 18 holes. Uh, I, I think that, especially with the skin format, you don't ever worry about getting down because you always get another hole. The match doesn't end abruptly. So you can keep it rolling. Uh, I, I think that gives a lot of opportunity for the underdogs to win. You just have to win as many skins as you can. So I, I, I'm reluctant to think, I mean, I, I know that DJ and, and Rory McIlroy are the favorites because they are, at least Rory, statistically a better player than the other two right now, but I don't know by how much. I mean, it, and given the ring rust and given the lack, the potential lack of competitive exposure other than maybe the, you know, the member, gap, member pro at Seminole, I mean, there's just too many unknowns to suddenly take a take a, a bet on Rory and DJ at minus 200 or something like that when you could get the underdogs at almost two to one. Crazy. We're talking with Ryan Ballinger, uh here on Teeing and Up, talking about golf's return to, to television the next two weeks. Because on Sunday, May 24th, um, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, you will see Tiger. Uh, uh, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady at Medalist on TNT at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, TBS, TNT, True TV, and the Headline News Network. Yes, the same place that gives you Robin Mead in the morning. We'll be getting you Tiger Woods in the afternoon. Um, which I just find interesting as I'm a Robin Mead fan. Um, but anyway, Ryan, the, the interesting part about this is this is where I think there is... Even with a, a, a best ball in the front nine, modified alternate shot in the back format, this is where Tiger has a, a Tiger and Peyton have a gigantic advantage. This is Tiger's home course. He has played way, way, way more rounds on this 
per the rules of match play, a player can give advice to their partner. Tiger can say to Peyton, hey, on the fourth hole, you have to you know, club up a half club. I'm telling you, the wind gusts more than you think. Things like that, which will be vital, especially with no caddies and guys in carts. This is the one where I would be shocked if Peyton and Brady win in a landslide. Uh, sorry, if, if Phil and Brady win in a landslide, Tiger's got some kind of bigger problem on his hands. Because on paper... This is a clear tiger adv- uh, clear tiger home court advantage. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I, yeah, because it's medalist, because Peyton and Tiger played together. I mean, I, I know Phil and Brady have played together, but it just feels like that all line. That, that's the one where I think, all right, they're the favorite. You should bet on the favorite. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no offense to Phil, no offense to Tom Brady, but I, I think I'm gonna, I would look at, at Tiger as having the more likely to, to play. Now, the interesting thing is going to be once you get to the back nine, you play the modified alternate shot, which is really a shamble. It's not alternate shot. But if you play a shamble, the Tiger's not the most accurate guy off the tee sometimes. Phil certainly isn't. So... I think you have to give the edge, to, again, to Tiger and, and Peyton on the back, but if those guys are wild off the tee, do they suddenly have to start playing their amateur partner's tee shot? And if they do, or if they choose to, will that really have a, a hand in determining the outcome of the match? But I, I still think Tiger and Peyton are going to be too much for, for Phil and Tom Brady. This is where I think something Tiger developed when he came back in 18 end of 17 into 18 will be helpful and you'll help me uh you'll have to help me with this because i forget the name that cut shot off the tee that that slices a whole bit and doesn't go very far he calls it like an ugly something or other or a, i forget the official name that's where that shot could be extremely helpful for tiger um just to have something surefire in the bag that will get him in the fairway um that's where I think that that shot, the the comeback and his development could be extremely helpful. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, I think it's called the. Able to, I think it's to called the fairway with the, that that cutter is going to be a, a big deal, and I think that's probably going to be his emphasis is let's just get the ball in play because you know Phil is going to be pretty wild. So if you just get it in play, you've got an advantage. Um, I believe it's called the ugly spinner. Um, or some kind of shot. I, I can't, I'm looking for the right, uh, I, I cannot, this is, this is just hilarious that I can't find this, but the bottom line is this ugly kind of spinner shot that goes like 275 in the air and rolls out like 15 yards. Tiger's been using it a lot to, uh, be extremely helpful when it comes to, his comeback, and as you said, just getting a ball in play. It goes back to now Ryder and President's Cup style. Just get me in play and give me a chance, and that could be the way this goes. So that brings us then to currently scheduled June 8th. And the reason why June 8th, folks, is important and not June 11th is we need a Monday qualifier. Uh, that's And Colonial open for practice rounds. So that's what the PGA Tour keeps saying in all these releases. We are looking at June 8th, that Monday, of the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial as the date. From what you've heard, from what you've read, uh, 
What's your thoughts right now, Ryan, on if we are talking golf starting, officially restarting with Real Tea Time Monday, uh, sorry, Thursday, June 11th from Fort Worth? I think that they will play. Um, I don't see any reason right now why they won't. They seem pretty well committed to it. I think when they release their guidelines today, there could be some better scrutiny of how they plan to go about operating a tournament from start to finish and how they plan to get players from point A to point B if they continue playing on the tour week to week. And then we'll have a better idea of, all right, have they really thought this out well enough? And I, I trust that they have. They've had a month and a half to think about what golf will look like in the return. And I, I, I feel like it's, it's full steam ahead. I mean, you've got five of the top ten players in the world already committed to Colonial. That never happens. And I believe, just to, to uh, uh, briefly interrupt, I, I believe that does not include Justin Thomas, who has said publicly he's in as soon as they get going. They, I mean, you're looking at like six of the top ten in the world, and Xander Shoffley said this is going to have a major feel to it. It will. It will feel important. It will, will not feel like a throwaway. It won't feel like... Uh, not to be mean to what's going to happen this weekend and next, but it won't feel like an exhibition. Yeah. It's going to feel like big boy golf. And I think that's something that the PGA Tour is obviously trying to go for to make it a meaningful restart since they can't do what NASCAR can do and just run a, a full week of races in a row. They can't do that. And they can't do what the UFC is doing where they can just run card after card after card again and again and again to get exposure. So the PGA Tour has to maximize their exposure, has to maximize their big splashback. This is this is sounding like that is going to be the case. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid on this because if you look at the buy rate for the, the UFC fight over the weekend, people who don't give a crap about the UFC bought that fight. 700,000 buys is insane for uh a pay-per-view in these days, especially for a UFC. And the, the action in the betting market on UFC fights was something like 10 times the normal action. So even people who have zero interest in golf are probably going to watch this because it's something to watch. So I think the tour at this point is pretty much got their chips all shoved in. They're going to do this. But they're going to have to figure out the challenges, the, the logistical challenges of accommodation and travel. That's really what it boils down to more than anything else. And then I, I think they have to figure out a way to handle what, what would, me, to me, seem inevitable when someone involved with the tour, player, caddy, official, whatever, gets COVID, and then what do they do? And that, that's going to be the big part of the plan I'm looking for. Uh, by the way, I just want to give credit where credit's due. It is Bob Harrig, ESPN.com, who got the quote from JT that says, quote, I'm 120% comfortable and confident. I'd start next week if I could. I know the tour is not going to let us start and would not be running tournaments if they didn't think it was safe and smart. It's unbelievable the work they have put into all these plans and thought process. He's on the PAC, the uh, Player Advisory Council, so he's been a part of all these meetings. So, to that end, now you're looking at six of the top ten with probably more coming. And in a weird way, obviously the focus still needs to be elsewhere, but in a weird way, Colonial is a great place to 
restart this in terms of having a major field because it has host majors in, in, in the past and it's a course that can give everybody fits. It's not a distance wins it type deal. Um, it, it's actually a very intriguing course to have a major championship level field to it. It is. And I think that they tried to do that on purpose. They tried to bring people, bring golf back to a place that has a rich tradition. It doesn't feel like we're just playing golf anywhere. You're, you're playing golf somewhere with history and importance. And you're also going to get, you know, five, six, seven of the top ten in the world in the field to come play. All of a sudden coming back, it's like golf means business. And I think that's a good thing. I think they did the right thing in trying to pick a place like that, especially having to wipe out the Nelson. At least you get one of those two. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. And to be able to go to Hilton Head Island the next weekend for, for Heritage, I, I think was a, a good decision, not only to pay off RBC, for their commitment to the PGA Tour and losing the Canadian Open for circumstances beyond their control, but to also bring it back to a tournament, again, that has a good tradition, has a good history, and it should be in pristine shape this time of year. So hopefully everything kind of cooperates at the outset when golf comes back. You have it into, well, I can't call it safe places, but uh, well-respected places that have a, a tradition behind. And then you go to, to Connecticut, which I, in one sense feels like a statement because Connecticut and the tri, that tri-state area and, and you know, Jersey, all of that has been so affected by this. I mean, it's the epicenter of the COVID-19 crisis in this country. And for the PGA Tour to be in that, that area, which basically commuter New York City country, uh, I think that means something. I, I think that's a little bit of a statement. So that could be a, a powerful visual. Here's what's interesting about that, Ryan. It's funny you bring that up. That's what I was going to bring up with, with this question. My concern is not about somebody getting sick. I believe they will have plans in place to get that person the treatment, whatever treatment they need, contact trace, the whole nine yards. I am concerned about the PGA Tour starting and then having to stop because they go into a market that's not ready for them yet. And I don't know if players are ready for start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Baseball players are used to it because of rain delays and you end up in a sequence where your whole series gets rained out or whatever. But are we ready for a tournament to be ready and then the the people involved go, wait a second, nope, not happening. We've we've had a rise, sorry. Um, that's going to be interesting. Can we get enough of a season? And I don't want to talk about the FedEx Cup playoffs just you know, because this is not about playoffs, but just in general, are we going to get enough of a run here to keep guys consistent, to keep guys on a roll, playing consistently, to where we, A, avoid the VJ Singh issue, no matter what side you're on on it, and B, that we can have a satisfying conclusion to one season and starting the next and have these majors, or will it be start, stop, start, stop, start, stop? Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the big the big question mark, right? I mean, how do you... Do, do they have a contingency tournament? Do they have a site that they... Could they go to a TPC... What's the nearest TPC? What's the nearest place they could go to if on a dime uh, something flares up and the say, I'm, I'm sorry, we just can't have you. We can't do this. Right. 
I mean, I'd like to think that they have something along those lines, and I, I would like to think that every sponsor between now and the end of this year knows that's a possibility. Look at Avenel. They are okay with the PGA Tour suddenly having to say, all right, we're going to go play Dyes Valley. That's, that's our makeup tournament. Or we're going to go play PPC, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever course that we own in a state where it's, where there isn't a flare-up. Look at, look so, at TPC Avenel and how it's gotten back on the tour. It's been either the place we usually play at has um, all kinds of events happening at it or something else. So Avenel is in line to be that makeup venue if necessary, I would think, for any East, relatively East Coast event. Take Memorial, take Hartford, take the Northern Trust. If that's got to be moved out of Boston, um, although there are some other TPCs up in that area, but you know your area of Avenel is a perfect, you know, prime golf course sitting there ready to go. It is. It is. And it's going to supposedly host the 2021 Wells Fargo Championship next year. So, yes. Um, and that, that's kind of the hope in the region is that we won't screw it up and that'll lead to a, a more permanent event after a couple of years of not having a permanent event. Isn't something um, else also going to Caves Valley in your area too? Yeah, so basically next year we'll have two PGA Tour events in the DMV, which is outrageous. I mean, that's... That's amazing for us. Yeah. And to have the Wells Fargo, which is, you know, May, and then we'll have an event in the deep part of the summer for the, the FedEx Cup playoffs, which is tremendous. Um, but it is an option. I mean, golf is, is fine here. That's every, everywhere in the 50 states. But with Maryland and D.C. and Virginia, kind of northern Virginia at least, having become a mini hotspot, uh, in the last month or so, hopefully by the time we get to some part of the schedule, maybe there is a flare-up and we have to think about this again. Um, you know, maybe we're well on the downswing, and it's not a big deal to come here. So, I think they they have to have that that plan has to exist, and I'm sure that it does. So, I'm sure there are a number of options on the table. They're all TPCs. The tour can just go there. You find the one where it's closest and legally okay, and you go do it. So um, I'm sure that's on the table, and I'm, I hope that it doesn't have to happen for them, but there's a very realistic possibility that it does. Uh, just for those out there listening to the podcast who are looking for any talk about live sports uh, uh, and, and are slightly confused, uh, the PGA Tour owns all the TPC courses out there. So things like TPC Sawgrass, TPC Scottsdale, those are probably the two most famous places. They own those. It's very easy to move an event to those courses, whereas it's harder to, on a dime, move something to an event that they don't have uh, any ownership stake in or have an ongoing relationship um, with. Ryan, is there anything else you want to say? Anything you want to promote? Anything you want to just shout out? Any anything uh, as we close up shop on this pod? No, I think it's just nice to be able to consider major level golf again. You know, I have have a great affection for the mini tours and developmental tours, and it seems like they have been able to prove that professional golf can continue. And frankly, it probably could have continued in a, a hyper-localized way they do it. But 
it'll be great to see the best players in the world playing again. It, it'll be very, uh, I, it'll be a reassuring feeling that eventually we will get back to something resembling normal. And, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to that. And I mean, look, for us diehards, whether it was the uh, derecho in in your area, whether it was that round in Japan during the Zozo and the wee hours this past year, the PGA Tour has gone with no fans before. Um, This is not a new concept. We know how it looks. It's awkward. It sounds awkward. But normally you have a couple members, you know, straggling around. This is going to be even more stripped from that, and it'll be really fascinating to see how these next... Uh, six events, counting these two charity events, play out. Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.